Hey everyone, Saltgrass Steakhouse is now open in Mishawaka. Wrangle up the crew and head down to Saltgrass Mishawaka for an unforgettable experience. Sink your teeth into mouth-watering char-grilled, certified Angus beef steaks. Sip on ice-cold craft cocktails. And don't forget to try the famous Spicy Range Rattlers, all made daily in the Scratch Kitchen. Start making delicious memories at Saltgrass Mishawaka, 5126 North Main Street, across from Lazy Boy Furniture Galleries. Dine with us today. This is Leprechaun Lunch on Sports Radio 960 AM, WSBT. Let's go get this show going, man. Is it me, or does this town seem a little bit buzzed right now? As if somebody just took one of our fingers and just plugged it into a socket. Man, last night over on camp, it was just electric. So cool. So cool. Leprechaun Lunch, I am Jim Rosari. It's brought to you by South Bend Orthopedics. Trusted in the community for over 75 years. Also brought to you by Legacy Heating and Air. Ask how you can get free maintenance for life and save like a champion today. A little bit different uh, order to things today on uh, on today's show, which, you know, every so often I just kind of like to take things and throw it up against the wall and see if it sticks. Uh, today, very special guest joining us uh, from the opposing press box itself. Uh this gentleman here is a, a five-time Ohio Broadcaster of the Year by the National Sports Media Association, also an Ohio Broadcaster Hall of Fame member, class of uh, 2007. It's Paul Keels, the voice of the Ohio State Buckeyes. Hello, Paul. You said special guest, Jim. I was ready to get out of the way. <laughs> right. <laughs> There's that modesty they always talk about. Uh, so... Before we get into the whole game, and of course, I'm, I'm sure that's why you're going to be here in town. Uh, the Big Ten is, has been such a uh, uh, a lightning rod for, well, pretty much all sorts of events happening with it. Uh, the expansion out to the West Coast, you've got USC and UCLA joining up next year, Oregon and Washington in 2024. I just wanted to get your thoughts on the Big Ten right now and where it's heading. Well, it's been interesting to watch, even since when they went back and added Nebraska in 2011, and then really surprised people when they added Maryland and Rutgers, and that probably still surprises a lot of people. But, you know, I think we all knew, Jim, that the way college athletics, and in particular college football, were going, that these conferences were not going to exist as we all knew. So I think one of the things the Big Ten has done is they've been at the forefront in trying to be ahead of everybody so that they don't, number one, lose out on any potential candidates that they feel fit their model, and number two, not be left behind in everything. So, you know, there's also a lot of thought that, you know, one of these days we're looking at probably a small number of super conferences. So the the Big Ten's been, you know, while they can be criticized for some things, they've been very good about trying to be proactive in increasing their reach, uh, you know, now going all the way from New Jersey to Los Angeles. It always strikes me as odd seeing on the Big Ten Network, you've got Rutgers versus Maryland. What? Um, as somebody who grew exactly. up, as somebody who grew up, you know, on the East Coast, and you know, had Rutgers in the Big East, and and Maryland was in the ACC. It's it, like it's still uh, all these years later. It still looks just weird to me. Uh, as far as Ohio State goes. Uh, with the expansion, you know, they've typically had to just worry about Penn State and Michigan as far as the Big Ten championship goes for football. But like I said, USC and UCLA join up next year. Oregon and Washington are on the way. Can you chalk it up to just you know, kind of life on the top? Everybody wants a piece of the, uh, you know, wants a piece of the pie, or uh, you know, does it just not make any sense whatsoever to you? It doesn't make any sense to me, but nobody asked other than you, Jim. <laughs> um, it, you know, it, 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 as we all know, it's, you know, TV is the tail that wags the dog. And, 
you know, that was some of the thought with Maryland and Rutgers that you were getting into uh, major metropolitan eastern media markets. But those, as you know, being from the east, those are pro sports markets. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, adding UCLA, USC, it ties into the Los Angeles market. But what's that really going to do? Uh, you know, the Seattle market with Washington, potentially the Portland market with Oregon. Maybe that adds something. But, you know, certainly what Fox has done in helping create the Big Ten's picture has a lot to do with it all. So it, a lot of it has, you know, getting the media rights, getting the media money that comes with it. So of course, certainly some of those new members are going to have to wait for a while before they start getting full shares. But it's more of, you know, not getting left behind by the schools and the conferences. The voice of the Ohio State Buckeyes, Paul Keels, joining me on Leprechaun Launch on Sports Radio 960 WSBT. Do you think Gene Smith's successor and Ryan, you know, and Ryan Day as well, uh, you think they feel good about the college football playoff expanding to 12? I think so. Now, <laughs> there's still a lot of questions that come with that. Um, what's it going to do to the regular season schedule? Yeah. Um, you know, I, I, I think that probably any athletic director and coach probably see what the expansion of that does is it means that one loss – even more so than now, doesn't necessarily take you out of the picture. Probably two losses may not take you out of the picture, depending on who the losses are and who your wins are. So it's one of those things that's it's, it's going to be constantly a moving picture. Uh, you know, around here, yes, with this being Gene Smith's last year, I think he finishes up at the end of May, beginning of June. Um, you know, there's a lot of thought about just what that's going to do to the overall picture. Gene's one of the longest tenured athletic directors at Ohio State has had. There have been great success not only in football, but uh, a number of other of the Olympic sports that have won national championships. So it's, you know, with 36 sports, there's a lot to navigate here, uh, with football being not the least of it all. So it's a picture that is probably going to change a lot, but I think everybody's curious to see what that does. How does it affect scheduling? Because now that you're adding USC, UCLA, Oregon, and Washington, what does that do with you know, how you're going to schedule other non-conference opponents, uh, even though Ohio State has something coming up with Texas. They have Alabama coming up uh, somewhere down the road, not too terribly far away. So, But how's it going to affect everybody else with those games? And, and are we going to continue to see games like possibly Ohio State and Notre Dame? How does that get affected by it all? Gene Smith, I, like he's got to be counting down the days until June. Right now, just man, his wife might be, but no, wife, you know what? And, right. and here's the thing, and you and you guys have a great tie to Gene because he played there and mm-hmm. was an assistant coach there. But he, you know, he's done a remarkable job at Ohio State, and has had to deal with some difficult situations, mm-hmm. as everybody dealing with a pandemic, uh, making changes with popular coaches. Um, but you know, that's kind of what comes with with the story of the athletic director. There were a lot of people thought Gene would have been a candidate to to be the new Big Ten commissioner. And he served on the NCAA tournament board and was the chairman for one year. So he's a guy that – and the thing that you hear, especially what you hear Ryan Day talk about, Gene, having been a football player and the other sports and the other coaches probably can relate to it, having been a Division One student athlete, he's got a perspective that maybe not a lot of athletic directors have or can make happen. Is there any inside track as, to, as far as who's going to take that spot? You know, like around here, the, 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 the big, uh, the big, you know, conversation. Of course, our athletic director as well, Jack Swarbrick, is uh, is retiring, uh, but they've already named his replacement in uh, in Pete Bavacqua, who used to be with NBC Sports. Uh, any mm. any inside track as far as uh, who's going to be taking over for for Gene? Well, there's a lot of candidates because of having worked under Gene at Ohio State as associate mm. ads. Uh, Pat Chun at Washington State, uh, who also had spent time at Florida Atlantic, and he worked in a number of different departments in the athletic department at Ohio State. Actually, I believe one of Pat's daughters is in school at Ohio State as a student. You have Martin Jarman, who's at UCLA. Before that, he was at Boston College, but he spent time working at Gene uh, here at Ohio State. Uh, Heather Like, who's the AD at Pitt, her name has kind of been talked about a lot. Again, somebody who spent a lot of time at Ohio State uh, working underneath Gene Smith. So those are some of the names with ties to Ohio State that have been kicked about a lot. There's probably some other outside names that uh, maybe have no tie whatsoever, but those are the ones that have been mentioned around here at least a lot. <laughs> There's got to be somebody with the with the Pac-12 just going, you know, with the with the person associated with uh, with Oregon State just going, oh no, oh no, just just <laughs> from loose connections and, and and just trying to keep that ship above uh, above water. Uh, you're also the voice of uh, Ohio State men's basketball as well. 
all of the expansion. How, how do you feel about it from a basketball standpoint? And I guess, you know, kind of from an Olympic sport aspect as well, just having all that travel added to things. Well, here's the guess, Jim. Probably what will happen, if you remember back in the days in the Big Ten in the, you know, 70s, 80s, when they had travel partners. And I think you're going to see that with basketball in the Olympic sports. So, for example, Ohio State would make a trip out west and they would play both the UCLA and USC maybe within a, a three, four-day period. Same thing if they swung through the Northwest with Oregon and Washington. And, and possibly also in those schools come to the Midwest or to the East. They play more than one game per trip. Um, so, I, and then with some of the other Olympic sports, there may be a little more regionalization put together where not everybody's going to see everybody. Mm. So that's just a guess. Who knows? But, you know, that's the challenge that these athletic departments are facing, especially, you know, the, the Olympics, which the Olympic sports, which people at times refer to as non-revenue sports, just with some of the cost that's involved in all of that. So, but you just have to guess you're going to see a travel partner type of situation. So let's say, you know, back, back in the seventies and eighties, Ohio state and Indiana were travel partners. So you could see the Buckeyes and the Hoosiers both on the same four-day period going to L.A. Uh, and playing the two L.A. schools in one throw. Hmm, okay. Uh, with with money basically controlling the move and you know the, the billions of dollars that's being thrown at the Big Ten now, um, do, does do you feel that it takes away at all that you know we're kind of losing sight? of what these conferences were set up for. They were set up for the student-athlete to compete. And we're just kind no of forgetting the, uh, the whole student aspect of it. No, there's no question. And, you know, there are those people who will tell you, you know, with the ability to do classes and studying virtually and everything, that maybe lessens some of the effect of that. But, oh, no, that's a fair question that comes up with people, that it's not about the student-athletes. I think the other thing that it, it, it creates a challenge is – you know, think about the families of these student athletes. Think about, you know, the parents of the football players. Okay, a lot of them this weekend to make the trip to South Bend, especially if they're Midwestern families. Okay, it's not that much of a challenge, at least as far as, the, the, you know, being able to get there. Now, maybe getting tickets is another thing. But, you know, now when you're talking about going to the Northwest, when you're going to the West Coast, that creates more of a challenge. So, and, and it just, at least, you know, as somebody who grew up in a Big Ten state here in Ohio, you kind of lose that Big Ten Midwestern feel you had. But that went out the door quite a while ago. So it's just one of those things that, you know, those of us of the older generation, you know, we can't be the get-off-my-lawn person. You have to learn that <laughs> the change is inevitable and the change has already happened and it's probably going to continue to happen. <laughs> like Nebraska still throws me off as, as being in the Big Ten, for crying out loud. Uh, like, And that's been, like you said, forever now. Uh, getting to the game. Are you actually in town yet? Not yet. Get there okay. probably about 6 p.m. this evening. Okay. You will, you will notice kind of an electricity because uh, uh, we don't see too many of these you know, giant top 10 matchups, or at least we haven't, uh, of, of late. You got any advice for the citizens of South Bend on how to handle this weekend? <laughs> That's an interesting one. Um, you know... <laughs> I think it's going to be interesting and for us to, and actually once we get in, we're coming into South Bend, but we're staying in Elkhart. Uh, oh, okay. The team is staying in South Bend. Uh, yeah, the, the hotel rates are just, as you can imagine, uh, Jeez, yeah. quite challenging. Yeah. Um, but, you know, Ohio State fans, as you can imagine, and maybe have already seen, travel very, very well. So I would say for the citizens there, uh, especially for a fan group that hasn't been there in, what, 30 years, yeah. um, you're going to see a lot of scarlet and gray walking around. You're going to see a lot of Ohio State fans that are pumped to be at a place that most have probably never been to. So hopefully there's some good interaction. Uh, there's some friendly jousting. But, uh, you know, the Ohio State fan base, for the most part, is a pretty good and a pretty congenial fan base. So uh, just I, I would say that, you know, for the folks of South Bend, don't be surprised at how much scarlet and gray you see walking around the streets. Mm. That could be a, a touchy subject around here, anyway. <laughs> the last <laughs> when, when Georgia came up here, you know, all all people could talk about was how much red was in the crowd at Notre Dame Stadium, and it was like, okay, all right, maybe you shouldn't have all sold your tickets then, you know. Um, so just just a hunch. As far as the game goes, uh, it, it took a little bit, but Ryan Day finally named uh, Kyle McCord as QB one. Was that a result of Ryan Day needing to see McCord deal with real in-game scenarios, or was it just not clear who 
who quarterback one should have been at the end of camp? Well, I think it was a combination of things. It was the first thing you said, too. Even though Kyle McCord had, you know, he, this is his third year in a program. He had one start previous to this year when C.J. Stroud was injured. And he's been on the field a lot, but a lot of those were in mop-up duties when the game was pretty much decided. So probably getting a chance to see him in more live game situations when the game was just starting or when the game was still hanging in the balance. There also was a feeling, too, that Devin Brown, the redshirt freshman who's the backup, uh, really was making a push at times during the summer camp. So it was an opportunity to you know, kind of leave the door open for possibly you know, McCord to either take the job and run with it or Brown to cloud it up by playing well. Um, but there was always a feeling for those of us in the media and everything that eventually it was going to be Kyle McCord just because of experience, just because of everything he had seen. Brown had only played in two games last year and had not even attempted a pass. And there really was a clear indication of it in the opening game at Indiana when uh, Ryan Day wanted to play both, but when the game was still somewhat close after Brown had been in there, he went back to McCord. And so there's a comfort factor there. There's the fact that McCord has been around this receiving group for quite a while. He and Marvin Harrison are high school teammates. You know, maybe we make too much out of that, but um, certainly just seeing him now handle situations in a live game from start to finish, I think it's probably had a lot to do with it, but it was also giving Devin Brown the opportunity possibly to show that maybe it still should have been a question. Yeah, being being... I would imagine having as much time as possible with Marvin Harrison Jr. running routes for you. I'm sure that helps with his comfort level just a little bit. Uh, you would think so. <laughs> right. Uh, Paul Keels from the, uh, from the Ohio State University, the play-by-play voice of the Buckeyes, joining me on Leprechaun Lunch. Which is going to be the more important battle tomorrow? Is it going to be Notre Dame's secondary against those Ohio State wide receivers, or is it going to be Notre Dame's running backs against the Ohio State front seven? Boy, that's that's a tough one to pick because they both could be very huge. If having to choose one, it might be seeing how Ohio State's defense can not only try and limit Audric Estime with as well as he's run the football, but also have an effect on Sam Hartman, who's you know off yeah. to an outstanding start with the way he's thrown the football and the way he's played. Uh, this Ohio State defensive line, you, you look, they're, they're really, they've only got five sacks this year, but they played Indiana, who started with a triple option at the beginning of the game, and then they played other teams who got rid of the ball in the hurry. So there weren't really a lot of legitimate sack opportunities. But if that defensive line can put some pressure, which would be hard to do given the, the experience that Notre Dame has on the offensive line, but if they can put some pressure, force Hartman into some bad decisions, and, and then a defense that, Really, last year, what cost Ohio State in their two most important games, Michigan and Georgia, that gave up explosive plays, if this defense can limit those explosive plays, and they've been able to do that, not against the same type of talent they're going to see tomorrow, but if they're able to do that, that's probably something that could be a more determining factor than maybe the other way around. Now, having said all of that, you know we've been able to see with what Marvin Harrison and Emeka Ibuka and Julian Fleming can do, not to mention the tight end play of Kate Stover and G. Scott. Uh, you know, that, that certainly is going to be something that is an issue for Notre Dame to have to resolve. Where do you think we're going to go as far as point total goes? It's 55 and a half. We going over that or are we staying under it? You know, I, and it's been hard to figure a lot of that this year, Jim, because of the new clock rules. Uh, mm. Really, last week was the only time that Ohio State was able to kind of play beyond that. Uh, but I would tend to think that that number's probably spot on, not being a, a wagering expert. But, you know, this is a game that a lot of people seem to think has the potential to see a lot of points and go back and forth. Would not be surprised if that happens. Okay. <laughs> I just, I, I don't, I, I'm, I'm trying to figure out just where, where do I want to put like a couple of bucks, you know, just, just in case, just in case. This is a tough one to do that. On. It, really it really is. is. It really is. Uh, and, and there's so many good games this weekend too. It's like last week was kind of a drought and then all of a sudden we're getting the, uh, the dump truck just, you know, backing up and, and un- unloading on all of us as far as college football goes this weekend, which. I'm not exactly complaining about. Uh, Paul Keels, five-time Ohio Broadcaster of the Year, Ohio uh, Ohio Broadcaster Hall of Fame, voice of the Ohio State Buckeyes, and uh, for the past uh, 15, 20 minutes or so, 
an actual reason to listen to this radio station. Uh, I I do <laughs> I do appreciate you taking the time. Uh, safe travels. We'll catch up in the uh, in the press box tomorrow. All right, Jim. Sounds good. Thanks for having me. It'll do. Like like I I'm not gonna lie. I was starting to get lost in his voice. <laughs> That's a great set of pipes right there. Not gonna lie. That is a great set of pipes. Uh, more to come with Leprechaun Lunch. That is uh, that is forthcoming, of course. Leprechaun Lunch brought to you by Legacy Heating and Air. Ask how you can get free maintenance for life and save like a champion today. Also by South Bend Orthopedics, trusted in the community for over 75 years. Leprechaun Lunch rolling on next on Sports Radio 960 WSBT. Leprechaun Lunch, Sports Radio 960 WSBT. Game day coverage gets underway tomorrow, 1 o'clock in the afternoon. Our uh, our pregame coverage starting with a replay of Wake Up the Echoes, in case you missed that on Tuesday. And then uh, 2 o'clock rolls around, that's when Legacy Heating and Air Game Day hits the air. I will be out there with, uh, with of course, my co-host Tim Growl. We'll be uh, right there in the center of uh, Eddie Street Commons, across from Five Guys, right between Urban Outfitters and Brewburger. Get there early. You may want to get there a little bit early. We've got royalty coming, all right? Oh, also, shower, too, all right? Shower, shower. Joe Theismann going to be joining us right, like right up at 2 o'clock. Uh, watch, you know, watch Joe, get some pictures, autographs, all that stuff. Joe Theismann going to be kicking off Legacy Heating and Air Game Day tomorrow. Also going to be talking with linebacker Mike Goolsby, the uh, 2004 uh, leading tackler for the uh, Fighting Irish. We've got former uh, All-American offensive lineman John Dampier and also uh, former Fighting Irish and three-time Super Bowl winning offensive lineman Steve Sylvester and bagpipers! We've got pipers for a huge game like to, like tomorrow. All starting 2 o'clock. Legacy Heating and Air Game Day. Uh, after that, We've got uh, game day sports beat at uh, at four. Darren, Eric, and Tyler will be uh, live at Notre Dame Stadium, uh, basically getting all your last minute news, all your last minute analysis uh, before kickoff, and then uh, the network rolls around at six thirty. Kickoff at seven thirty. After the game, hopefully a very happy official Notre Dame football post game show. Hopefully, fingers crossed. It's always a lot more fun when. When Reggie's happy, when Reggie's in a good mood, quite honestly, so <laughs> just is. It just is. Uh, let's see some picks coming up. Like I said uh, with Paul uh, not too long ago, just a, a huge weekend of college football uh, just around the corner. Yesterday, Marcus Freeman talked with the uh, talked with the media via that that fun little uh, piece of software called Zoom. Here's what he had to say. Hey, Coach, I'll take the early injury hit here. Uh, Mitchell Evans, do you expect him? Did he have a good week of practice, and do you expect him to be available for the contest? Yes. Yep, he practiced all week, and we'll be ready to go. And I think the only other question mark, really, was Gabriel Rubio. I know we talked to Coach Golden and you earlier in the week, and other than maybe starting him off slowly this practice week, has he trended to a way where he could help you? Yep, he'll be uh, ready to roll on Saturday. He practiced all week, too. And not trying to be games plan specific here, but you've been very uh, liberal in your use of defensive subs. Is that something that you just is a situation where these players have earned time every week? Or are there ever games where you are looking at it and thinking this is the best on best? We do stick a little bit more with the guys that have earned the starting roles in a contest like this. Yeah, I think each game you have a plan for um, how you're going to roll guys and, and and then you make in-game adjustments, you know, and, and hey, how do we keep guys fresh? Um, you know, who's earned the right through practice to play more? And so um, I think you have a, a, a plan going into each game on who you're going to roll in there and utilize. Um, but kind of the flow of the game will dictate that, too. We'll go next to Tyler Horka. Hey, Coach. Obviously, last year when you played these guys, there was a lot of pomp and circumstance considering – that's where you went to school. That's where you played football. And then this week, I don't think you got one question like that in your press conference on Monday. And it seems like it's more business as usual. So I'm just kind of curious for you personally, 
having that crossover tie and, and having some guys that have the similar crossover tie, what it's been like this year compared to maybe what it was like last year? Yeah, I think last year, more than anything, again, was your first game, right? It's the first game of the season and, and going back to Ohio State. And, and obviously, there were a lot of headlines about that. But it, it, I think it's just a different um, approach for everybody, you know, and that, hey, we're, we're going into week five for us and week four for them. And you got two good teams. And, and that's the focus, right? It's, it's not about where I was or um, where I went to school or, or, you know, anybody else. It's about you know, preparing your team um, to face a really good Ohio State team. And, and I'm sure on the other hand, Ohio State has the same mentality. So um, that's where the focus should be. And uh, that's where I think it'll stay. We'll go next to Mike Bird, you know. Hey, Marcus. Um, wanted to ask about uh, Sam uh, and his nickname, uh, which goes back to his wake days. Do you ever call him Steez? Uh and uh, what what do you think his whole uh, Steve's uh, vibe, his kind of uh, his, his laid back nature, does in a in a pressure pack week like this? Maybe for the whole group. I've heard a couple people say Steve's and maybe a teammate or something. I, I have no clue what that means. Um, listen, when sometimes when you're the coach, you, you don't get to uh, be involved with some of the young people's uh, slang, and so um, I've heard a couple people call him that. I think. Uh, at some point, I'll probably need to ask him what that means. But, um, again, Sam is, uh, you know, he's obviously just a great leader, a great player. And, and to me, that speaks of his personality, ability to, um, you know, fit in with the guys. You know, even I, I call him an old man sometimes. You know, he's 24 years old, but he fits in with the guys. And uh, um, maybe I should find more, find out more about this nickname. We'll go next to Eric Hansen. Hey, Coach, uh, I wondered if you could kind of give your impressions of the offensive line through the first four games of the season. And is this about where you expected them to be at this point? Yeah, I've been extremely pleased with the play of our offensive line. Um, You know, I know we had high expectations coming into the season, but I think they've really done a good job of, of gelling as a unit. And, um, you know, you got two guys on the inside between uh, Pat and, and Rocco that were first-time starters four games ago and um, that have continuously grown. And there's always things you fix and you work on and, and you work to improve. But um, Coach Rudolph and that offensive lineup has done a really good job each week of, of having a great plan, improving, and uh, going out on Saturdays and, and executing at a high level. We'll go next to Pete Sampson. Marcus, from an operational standpoint, what significance, if any, is Laronitis being back on that staff um, in terms of just his knowledge of calls, checks? Um, how much do you have to change this week just to kind of keep it uh, in-house? We, we try to change weekly. You know, we always look at our signals. We look at some of the communication and, and each week it changes. So that would be no different this week. You have to continue to change things up or, or you know, all your games are on TV. They can hear um, the, the the checks on TV. Um, you can you can see signals on TV. That's a part of the game of football um, that we constantly try to every week, s- small changes, right, to keep teams off balance that might be hearing our checks or seeing our signals. So it has less to do with Laurenitis being um, – being on their staff and more to do with us continuously um, trying to keep our opponents, you know, on balance in terms of what we're signaling, what our checks are. We'll go next to Jack Sobel. Hi, Marcus. I'm just wondering about Cam Hart with the secondary playing so well. What's he meant to the team this season as, as, a, as both a leader and a player? Yeah, he's uh, number one being a captain, um, has been a great leader for our team. Um, he's a uh, really consistent practice player, practices at a high level, um, and, and which has entailed made him continuously improve as a, uh, a cornerback. And so um, he's mature, right? You're talking about going to your fifth year and um, a mature individual that's really continuing to improve at his craft of playing corner and um, has been a tremendous leader for this team. Next, we'll have Tim Priester. Marcus, you usually have an angle, uh, a theme for the the week with your team. What's the overriding, most important message for your team this week? You know, it's it's been consistent with the last couple of weeks, right? And, and 
this week is is it's probably a little bit noisier because of you know the opponent because of college game day pat mcafee all these different things that are going on here um the biggest thing is control the noise turn it down focus on the moment focus on today's practice and uh what we're doing now because this is what will give us the best opportunity to perform at a high level on saturday so it's it's really been do what we do but do it better right and that's what i've told those guys on on monday when i met with them do what we do what we've done is is good enough but do it better and um, that's a reminder, stay in the moment, turn down the noise, and focus on us. We'll go next to Sean Styers. Hey, Marcus. Uh, maybe a little bit of a follow-up to, to what you just talked about. I mean, you talk about control the interval, win the day, and control the noise and that kind of stuff. But at the same time, when you've got a game like this, have you felt maybe a different energy at practice throughout the week? No, not really. Um, you know, I hope, you know, that, that practices every week are spirited. And um, we've had really good Tuesday and Wednesday practice. You know, as I told them the hardest thing to do is to, um, you know, really as we get closer to the game, the noise gets louder, right? And you start thinking about things that, that, that are outcome-driven that have nothing to do with us preparing for this game. And so I've been really hard on them to make sure that this week of practice – um, the energy is always there, right? And we know they're going to practice with energy and emotion, big game, but to make sure we're very intentional on in our practice habits and what we're doing on every single play. I've tried to, uh, you know, have a couple periods in practice where the music is really loud and we're going fast just to get them to be able to lock in on this play, get the call, get lined up and execute. And so um, I- I've been really pleased with the, with the Tuesday and Wednesday practice. We're going to have a great Thursday practice too. Somebody mentioned if uh, if there was a uh, you know any sport any sort of extra juice for for this game since Marcus Freeman went to Ohio State he, you know played there an alumni all that or alumnus that's singular if we're supposed to believe that he didn't have this game circled on his count like both of them the one last year and the one this year if he didn't have both of those circled come on. Who are you trying to kid, Market? Come on. Anyway, uh, earlier in the week, after uh, after Tuesday practice, both defensive coordinator Al Golden and offensive coordinator Jared Parker gave their thoughts leading into tomorrow's game. Coach, where how can you or can you evaluate their wide receiver group and, and all that talent that they have in that yeah, I mean, area? Outstanding group. Uh, length, speed, uh, ball skills, catch radius, like really excellent group, you know, as good as any group we've seen. So, you know, since I've been here anyway, they, they uh, really, really talented group, play hard. Really big challenge. They got four different guys that have had 10 catches or more. Yep. How much does that help them that in addition to the top two, they still have plenty of depth behind them? No, they do, and they've had that. So, you know, that's not changing. So it's a challenge. You know, we have to find a way to – you know, obviously reduce their production there as much as we can, and, and um, that's one of the biggest challenges in the game. What does Ryan Day's offense bring schematically regardless of personnel that's just kind of challenging? Well, I mean, he does a great job. You know, there's so much respect for Ryan um, and the coach that he is. Just, you know, multiple looks, multiple groupings, tempos. Um, he really has it all, you know, and, and uh, the ability to control it, you know, from the sideline. Uh, and then the experience to go with it. So that's what makes it formidable, and uh, that's a challenge for us. What's the approach to the game in week five as opposed to week one last year? Oh, that's a great question. So a lot of unknowns last year. I still think there's some unknowns with both teams, but because it is, you know, the first quarter of the season. But, you know, we kind of have an idea where we are, you know, as a defense and what we need to improve on and, and uh, what we need to fix, you know, and, and uh, obviously – the way we want to attack them, you know, based on what they've done and who they who they might be on Saturday night. That's the biggest thing. How much do you learn about yourselves in a game like this when you're when you're facing such a talented offense? Well, I mean, I think you know we we try to learn every week, uh, regardless. You know, we try to learn. I think it's important that we take time you know, Sunday and Monday to reflect on on what we did, what we called, how we executed. You know, are we 
Are we drifting away from our fundamentals? All those things. So I think all those things are in play, you know, for us Saturday night. And our task as coaches is to eliminate a lot of the defects before Saturday night. You know, um, we don't want to find out something went wrong um, Saturday night. We want to, you know, dissect it here during practice and say, oh, this isn't good. This isn't a, this isn't a fit. Let's get rid of it. Let's play faster. Um, so that's our mentality. How do you like to play up some of the guys who got more snaps this past weekend as you guys went down to the Yeah, I think a lot of guys stepped up. You know, first and foremost, Jack Kaiser. I thought he he really stepped up, was the player of the game for us, and um, just thought he did a really good job. You know, but there's a number of guys that, that you know, stepped up and uh, did it on short notice. You know, it wasn't like we knew for three weeks that those guys were not going to be with us. So um, I was pleased. I was pleased with that, and a lot of guys, you know, gained valuable experience on Saturday. So that that's important moving forward. Oh, uh, yeah, JD, you know, Gabe, hopefully, and, and DJ, you know, big. Just guys who've played a lot of football makes us stronger up the middle. You know, problem solvers. You know, so we'll see how that evolves during the week and and uh, what their workload is. But so far, so good. I'm sure, the players are hungry and aggressive every week to you know come out. Aggressive against a team like this, but have you noticed a different approach from uh, Monday, Tuesday, as far as here, right Ohio State? Our, our guys? Yeah. No, like we've done a really good job of just staying in the moment and just trying to get better today, you know. So today was our early down day and just focusing on that. Um, a lot of fundamentals today, a lot of individual drills, you know. We don't want the tackling. Um, you know, to decay. We don't want the ball disruption, you know, uh, to diminish, you know, all those things, you know. So all those things, we keep practicing and, and uh, uh, big early down day today, the kids attacked it, you know, we got to hydrate, recover and get ready for third down tomorrow. It's going to be a big down this weekend. Let's do one more if we know, we know about Margaret Harrison. You know, what about the running game as well? Yeah, you know? my goodness. Uh, just a, first of all, it starts with Coach Fry up front and uh, the job that he does with the O-line, you know, strong uh, inside length on the edge, just a really good scheme. And then, I, you know, I love the running backs. I thought the running backs were excellent last year. I really did. They were, they were just really, really talented guys. And, um, you know, every, every play is a, a challenge. You know, you cannot misstep. You know, you can't be... You can't have a selfish fit, um, or they'll exploit it. So, just a ton of you know, just a ton of experience there, and nothing but respect for um, how hard those guys run, how how well they're coached in terms of pressing their landmarks and in uh, the way they operate, you know, in the run game. All right, thanks, coach. Thank you. Well, um, good question. Same as any great defensive coordinator and person you scheme against as a staff. Um, he's a long story, uh, has obviously passed head coach, great experience there. Been a defense scorer in many stops. They're aggressive. He's aggressive. Um, powers his players. They play fast. They got talent on all levels of their defense. Um, I could go on and on. Tremendous amount of respect. They're a veteran group, veteran staff, aggressive defense that flies around attacks and that's what makes them good. Coach, you, last year you were the tight ends, just the tight ends coach, now you're the offensive coordinator. Does your, um, I guess, what's your coach difference from that from last year compared to this year? Well, there's a lot more stress. <laughs> that's what it is, right? A um, lot more stress, but no difference. I mean, I, we truly tell our players, right, put in the work and um, just continue to work and pour into the scheme, pour into your players and staff. I think sometimes you get lost in scheme and all the results of this thing sometimes as, as coaches, and really it's more about our players. Like we have a tremendous amount of belief in our players. Our guys work their tails off. They're so fun to get around. The best part of this long weekend after you get to a Saturday game, a Sunday, a Monday, and you finally get out here and go at it is to get around our guys. They make you feel better because of the way they work and, and how they approach it. So. Um, that's what we try to do, and that keeps you very grounded, keeps you away from any trouble, letting you drift to focus on things that, that you really can't control. That's kind of a two-part question, Brett. What's the, um, I guess, what's the conversations with, with Coach Dillon to get that stable of running back prepared for a game like this, or any game in general, and then the same for Chancey Stuckey to get the receivers to make plays and have them make plays in a game like this? Yeah, you, you'll appreciate this. Like, it's a big game, and everybody knows it, but they are, their bodies already know it. Um, 
and this is I think this is the beauty of high expectations at a place like this. We don't do anything different. You know, if we have to do something different next week or the week after, week after, that means we didn't do our jobs properly. So we coach the heck out of ball security because we know that we got to take care of the football, right? We take care of our details and push the details of every play we put in because we know that's key to their success of being able to um, execute on Saturday. So it, it's all there, and I understand what you're asking, but the fact is, is you hope you don't have to do anything different besides continue to help your guys grow and, and do what we're doing better. It looked like there was an effort to get Rico the ball last week. I guess what have you kind of seen in his development since the season started? Well, with anything, with each rep he takes in live games on Saturdays as a young player, he continues to grow more confident, plays faster, and understands that he can play at this level and at a very high level of that. So I just think with Rico and all our young players, the more they play, the faster they play, the more belief they get, and it's fun to watch those guys grow that way. So that's all that's happening right now, and we're not a bit surprised by it. One more. What are some of the biggest changes you've seen from Ohio State last year as compared to their team? Um, no change. I mean, um, wouldn't, wouldn't see a change. They're, they're elite. Uh, they recruited elite players. They have an elite staff. Um, they put themselves in a position in conversation to play at the highest of levels and, and play in the college football playoff last year. Um, their expectations, I'm sure, from that side are the exact same. So no change. They're elite. Um, we've got a, a huge challenge in front of us, and our guys are working to be ready for that. Thank you all. All right, that was Al Golden and Jared Parker in order there, the uh, defensive coordinator and the offensive coordinator for Notre Dame uh, earlier this week after practice. So, um, yeah, like I said, if, if if Marcus doesn't think that he's, you know, that, that we don't think that he's, come on. Uh, also, Al Golden kind of had the defense dialed in last year. Remember how boring the game last year was? Like that third quarter? Blech. Blech. So I don't, you know, granted, some different personnel, but I don't think, I, I think Al Golden's got his, got his guys ready. Now, on offense, I think there's more talent this year than there was last year. Definitely more talented receivers than last year. Um, and also just a better quarterback. I said this with Reggie uh, during the postgame last week after uh, after the Central Michigan game. I said, you know, just flat out asked him, do you think Notre Dame wins the game last year if they had a quarterback? And he's like, yes. And I agreed wholeheartedly. It's games like this where you know, going out and getting Sam Hartman and, you know, making sure that, uh, you know, they won that contest in, in the transfer portal. That's where it's going to come up big. Games like tomorrow. Like I said, our pregame coverage will start at 1 o'clock in the afternoon. Uh, join us at 2 o'clock. Legacy Heating and Air game day at uh, Eddie Street Commons. Joe Theismann right there, too. So be there. Uh, coming up. Some uh, some picks for the weekend. I've got uh, I've got all the good games anyway. As far as the top twenty five goes, only one of these games, uh, only one of these games doesn't have both teams in the top twenty five. And even that one, it's close. It's real close. We'll go through them coming up. It's Leprechaun Lunch on Sports Radio nine sixty WSBT. Sports Radio nine sixty AM WSBT. Yes, indeedy. Leprechaun Lunch. Last few minutes of that. Brought to you by Legacy Heating and Eric. Ask how you can get free maintenance for life and save like a champion today. Also by South Bend Orthopedics. Trusted in the community for over 75 years. Of course, first pick. Gotta be Ohio State at Notre Dame. Number six versus number nine. 7.30 kick. By the way... NBC send, sent a real crew. <laughs> hey, how about that? What a concept. No more Jack, you know, at least not for this game anyway. No more Jack Collinsworth and Jason Garrett. We get a break. Do that for you. You know what? Do that for every game, quite honestly. Um, last year's meeting between the Buckeyes and the Irish. 
boring defensive struggle. Just 21-10. All right. This year, even with Ohio State's defense, you know, playing the way that it has, and Notre Dame's defense playing the way it has, I think this is going to look a whole heck of a lot different just because there's so many playmakers. So many playmakers on both sides of the ball. And Notre Dame's got a quarterback. He can get it to those playmakers. We saw that a lot last week, didn't we? Both defenses off to great starts, but like a, you know, neither one has been tested like this. Tomorrow's going to be a test. I don't think either defense breaks, but they are going to be bending a lot. Bending that over. Definitely going over 55 and a half tomorrow. That's how I feel anyway between uh, Ohio State and Notre Dame. Uh, earlier in the day, number 19 Colorado is at number 10 Oregon. That's a 3.30 kick on ABC. I think Colorado's going to cover. It's a 21-point uh, line right now for uh, for Colorado. And as, as long as Shador Sanders is under center for Colorado, they're going to have a chance. If you haven't seen Colorado play yet, you're doing yourself a disservice. Like take how you, however you feel about Deion Sanders, and you know how loud and boisterous that he's being at Colorado now. Watch his son. Oregon on paper, they've got the better offensive line, better defensive line, but they don't have a quarterback like Shador Sanders. They also don't have a team that's basically embraced the role of villain either, and. I like a team like that. This game's going to be a lot closer than uh, a lot of people think. I think Colorado covers. Number 23, UCLA is at number 11, Utah. That's a 3.30 kick on Fox. Utah's won 16 straight at uh, at Rice-Eccles Stadium with only two of them, Oregon State in 2020 and USC in 2022, by less than 10 points. Dante Moore, UCLA's true freshman quarterback, he's been impressive. He's looked really good. Hasn't seen a defense like like the Utes. What is a Ute? Plus, Utah owes Chip Kelly's team some payback for you know that that surprise win in the Rose Bowl for the Bruins last year. Yeah, I think that I think that payback's going to be right in the back of their mind there. I think Utah covers. It's a four and a half uh, point line. Utah's going to cover there. Uh, number fourteen, Oregon State is at number twenty-one, Washington State. You take this game, you put it next year, and it's the de facto Pac-12 championship. So, hey, cool. <laughs> 7 o'clock kick. Uh, Washington State, the underdog here. What's made the Pac-12, you know, on its way out, it's it's giving us all the quarterback play that we can possibly handle. This game, no different. Cam Ward for Washington State, he gives you more than the... Uh, more on the ground than his counterpart does. He's also less prone to turning the ball over. I like the Cougars' defense, how they defend the run, too. Expect that to be the case against Oregon State. It's going to kind of make Oregon State a little bit more uh, one-dimensional than they'd probably like to be. Oregon State losing. I like Washington straight, uh, Washington, Washington, stri- <laughs> Washington State straight up. I'm excited. What can I say? 3.30 on CBS, you've got number 15, Ole Miss, at number 13, Alabama. Double-digit number in front of Alabama just kind of sounds like a... That kind of doesn't sound natural, but whatever. I'm all for it. Uh, The only thing more frustrating than Alabama's current offense was watching the Crimson Tide last week and thinking, wait a minute, we were happy that Marcus Freeman brought Tommy Reese back last year? Ugh. That said, you got to recognize it, you got to own it, you got to use your strengths to overcome the weaknesses. Nick Saban's probably going to do that. The student does not get the better of the teacher in this matchup, especially when the teacher is is, is Nick Saban. Like that just doesn't happen very often. Defense. Give me the under. 56 is the point total on that one. <laughs> that is generous. And then finally, 
the one game that doesn't have two top 25 teams going off against each other. Although it's close, like, Clemson was, like, they're like 26. Number four, Florida State at Clemson. Noon kickoff on ABC. Wrong team is favored in this one. Everybody's looking at the number two in, or the uh, the number four in front of Florida State and going, Yes, them. Clemson's done. Duh. Look ahead line here was Clemson minus four. It moved nearly a full touchdown based on FSU beating LSU and Clemson losing to Duke. If you followed here, you already know, you know, I, I already bet on FSU against an overrated LSU team. Florida State, back-to-back road games, early starts. Clemson with a better defense. And also, that home field advantage. Whew. Notre Dame's going to have to deal with that here, you know, this season, too. That is a heck of a home field. Like, that's that's what's going to keep Clemson competitive. Look for uh, Clemson to control the clock with a ton of success on the ground. Will Shipley, Phil Maffa, both averaging over six and a half yards per carry. Florida State's going to spend a lot of time on defense. Clemson covers the two and a half points. Notre Dame, Ohio State going over. Colorado covers. Utah covers. Washington State straight up. Ole Miss, Alabama under. Florida State at Clemson. Clemson covers. See you tomorrow. Sports Radio 960 WSBT South Bend. Hey everyone, Saltgrass Steakhouse is now open in Mishawaka. Wrangle up the crew and head down to Saltgrass Mishawaka for an unforgettable experience. Sink your teeth into mouth-watering char-grilled, certified Angus beef steaks. Sip on ice-cold craft cocktails. And don't forget to try the famous Spicy Range Rattlers, all made daily in the Scratch Kitchen. Start making delicious memories at Saltgrass Mishawaka, 5126 North Main Street, across from Lazy Boy Furniture Galleries. Dine with us today. 